Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan, presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 39. So this is another episode we captured uh, in person, which is fun, at Surf Ranch a couple weeks ago, right before we ran Rumble at the Ranch. It was actually our very first episode not recorded over Zoom since we ran Mick Fanning's two-parter way back in March, which feels like 10,000 years ago. Today's guest is someone who has spent the bulk of her young career shattering performance ceilings, whether in the amateur or the professional ranks. She possesses a style honed in the groomed walls of Rincon that's been applied to making movies, winning CT events, and challenging for world titles. In 2019, she suffered what she called the worst day of her professional career, but has taken the extended offseason to recenter ahead of another assault against the world's best. Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with Santa Barbara's Lakey Peterson. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. Let's talk to your boxes. Lakey Peterson, welcome back to the United States of America. Welcome to the lineup. This is the first non-low tide edition we've done since Mick Fanning, because we are here in person. We're not on a Zoom call. I'm really nervous, but I thank you. I'm so glad it's you doing this one. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. I'm kind of nervous, too. I haven't done an in-person interview in a while, so but I'm you, glad it's you. You said you're one of our super fans. You've listened to all the episodes, so you know all my tricks. I have. You know why? Because... I've been in Australia the last seven months and it's been really cold and we've got a sauna down there and you can listen to, you can do like the Bluetooth thing. So mm. I've listened to all your episodes in the sauna. <laughs> that's a, a good use of sauna time for it's sure. It's great, yeah. Well, let's talk about that because I think that's so interesting in the sense of you've been in Australia this whole time. Uh, as I said, you're usually one of my neighbors up in Santa Barbara. Um, but why? Why have you been over there? What's been going on? Yeah, so uh, my husband's from Australia's from Bells Beach area. And so we generally spend a lot of time there in between when contests are running. You know, normal year, we go back there a lot. And always the last maybe three years before Snapper, I generally go over early February and just surf a ton um, and kind of get ready for the year. So we were over there the beginning of February before stuff got shut down and, and crazy. And then, you know, once Snapper got canceled and COVID really started to escalate, we sort of felt like it was maybe best to just stay in Australia. Torquay's naturally um, kind of a mellow town, quiet town, and tons of waves. So we sort of felt like that would maybe be a better place to be, which it was. It's It was amazing to be there the past seven months. It was incredible. You know, springtime and early summertime at California, it's not always firing, um, <laughs> way to put it. And I remember we we had our, our Sage podcast and she mentioned that she was on her way over to the Gold Coast. She went over before COVID hit or hit kind of in earnest. And I remember talking to someone after that and they're like, man, she must be so bummed that she's over there. And I'm like, I don't think no, so because the Gold yeah. Coast is like firing. It's warm. It's fun. Yeah. We're still surfing in four threes and like wiggling around in one foot waves. Totally. I think Australia as a whole has had the best year ever. I mean, every coastline has been kind of bumping for like a while now. So, yeah. 
And how many years have you been spending time in Victoria? Obviously, you, your husband Thomas is from there. How, how many seasons would you say you've been kind of spending a good chunk of your year down there? Um, I think probably now there's been about four years where I've been there a lot. Like when Tom, before we got married and we were dating, I would constantly go visit him a ton because we did long distance when I was on tour and he was still studying and stuff. So um, the last kind of seven years we've been together, I've been there a lot. But really the last four, we've gone super early and spent, you know, months there and and really gotten to enjoy Bells in that area and understand that coastline, which is pretty darn cool. <laughs> well, I mean, being from Santa Barbara, um, high, high quality waves, just not a ton of quantity or frequency yes. all year round. Do you feel like your own surfing since you've been spending more and more time in Australia has has changed in any way, um, just based on how you grew up? I definitely think so. I feel like growing up in Santa Barbara, you have Rincon, you have Sandspit, you know, a couple beach breaks in Mature on their day are, are amazing. Um, but it's just pretty inconsistent. And honestly, California crowd-wise is kind of brutal <laughs> these days you know it's everyone wants to surf and everyone's pretty aggressive and um I grew up here so I can get into that mindset but I feel like down Torquay Way and Bell's Beach it's just I don't know it kind of reminds me it's the same sort of climate and atmosphere of Santa Barbara and home but the waves sort of almost remind me a lot of Hawaii it's a lot more wind and raw swells and just power and I feel like for my surfing that's really an area I needed to improve in because Santa Barbara, you know, Rincon's four foot and easy to surf. So I, I think for me, it's been incredible um, for my surfing. I think particularly I spent a lot of time there before the 2018 season. And I feel like that season I really started to uh, improve and, and a lot of people noticed that. And especially in ways like Margaret River and, and stuff like that, I feel like it improved my surfing a ton, just spending time around Bells. Well, 2019, it was your eighth season on the championship tour. And even even before you qualified, you always had kind of this X factor of, you know, fin-free maneuvers, aerials that, that really weren't that prevalent on the women's tour at the time. Um, and you've always been very, very strong. But I think you're totally right in the sense of even the results over the last few years have gotten that much sharper for you consistency-wise. And you've really been in the title hunt the last three seasons. Yeah, Um it's weird what, <laughs> I think I've just noticed what confidence will do for someone or for me in particular. I felt like I won Snapper in 2018 and 2017 was sort of a weird year. I had like a bad start and then kind of a, a pretty good finish, a, a good run in Europe. Um, and then I felt like that slingshot me in 2018 and I won Snapper that year and it just gave me so much confidence. And since then I just sort of rolled with it. And obviously you know, I was in the title with Steph that year and that was sort of my first time experiencing that. And then 2019 was way closer world title wise and there was a lot going on. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been an intense few years to be honest. I've sort of enjoyed having some time off totally. um, this year. I felt like I kind of needed it. So. Well, I want to talk about that a little bit because, you know, November, December, 2019, you're heading into the Lululemon Maui Pro you're in the title hunt, you're in contention for an Olympic spot on the US team. And it was just a really tough event. Um, you know, you, you went down earlier than you would have liked. You know, Carolyn hopped you in the rankings. So, you know, do you think that, that 
just from your career trajectory, do you think that was the hardest event you had to deal with just as an athlete? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I don't think it could get personally much harder to lose any event. Um, it was just crazy that everything came down to one event. And I think for me it was it was so hard because I felt like I did a really great job all year and I, I, I finished third in the world and I I think it's just it was really hard because I felt like I couldn't even celebrate that because I got so close but then just yeah I got nothing in terms of a world title or Olympics and um, so I think sometimes it just makes it harder when you're that close to it and just miss it rather than if I was sitting in 10th or something and didn't have a chance. Well, I mean, you see that all the time on men's and women's tours when someone's in the title hunt and they get so close and they finish second. There's there's a lot of times a regression the following year because it just takes so much out of you. The, the big one I remember is um, the 2003 year with it was the second of Andy's three world titles. And that was the year that he and Kelly won like 10 out of the 11 events right. between them. And it went down to pipe and and Kelly lost. And I think the next year was like the first time he fell out of the top five in like 15 years or something. Cause yeah. it just took so much out of him. Yeah, it, it does. Honestly, it's, I think the focus level to be in a world title race and then add the Olympics on top of it, which for me was a huge deal. I think different people in the industry perceive the, the, the Olympics differently. But for me, that was always, since I was really little, like I always wanted to go to the Olympics as an athlete. And so that was a really huge deal for me to to make it and um, to go. And then obviously the world title is just the mecca of our sport. And so I feel like it was just condensing all year and the year before with Steph and, and, and then it just sort of all imploded. So yeah, it, like I said, I, I just feel like I needed more of a break this year and I feel like I've been blessed to kind of have that in a weird way. Getting ready for Snapper before stuff got called off, I was um, you know, in the mind space to start competing, but I definitely wasn't, I think looking back now, I was still pretty caught up in 2019 season. I'm glad you brought that up because that was the next thing I wanted to talk about too, because as you pointed out, 2020 has been the longest break in the sports history. Um, and I was wondering if party you wanted to kind of get back to business right away to say like, look, you know, it was very hard for me in Maui. I missed out on the Olympics. I missed out on the world title. I want to put that behind me and get going. Or as you've kind of indicated, the longer the time you've had, the, the more time you've had to kind of process and reset and get ready for what's next. Yeah, I think at that time, kind of January, February zone, I was like, okay, hey, get me, just get me back in a jersey. I just want to surf an event. I got to get Maui out of my head, just move forward, get a good result. And that was sort of my headspace, but now have had time off, I think it's just been good. I needed more time to process. I was maybe just trying to bury the hatchet a bit sure, too yeah. soon. And um, yeah, so I think it's been awesome to just reflect and grow and um, just reassess my goals and, and you know, what I want to do with my career and in the sport and, um, you know, yeah, just, just what I'm doing here and, and how I want to finish out my career do you think the olympics are going to happen next year i don't know <laughs> honestly i just haven't even paid attention to it because i don't really i was like i don't want to hear about it i don't want to know about it um but i i hope it does i think tokyo you know is an incredible venue for just the olympics in general 
I know a lot of stuff that they were sort of um, working on over there was supposed to be incredible. And so I do, I do hope it runs. And I think for surfing, it's going to be amazing. And um, yeah, so I hope so. And I hope for all the athletes who qualified, they really deserve it. 2024. Um, it will, we'll be in 2024 by tomorrow. I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> like that. And, um, you know, it's going to be the Paris Olympics and they've indicated that they're going to run their surfing event at Chopu. Yeah. Is that a goal for you? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I'll never not want to go to the Olympics and I'll, I'm planning to definitely be well and truly around in 2024 and competing hard. So I will have high hopes to make that Olympic team for sure. What are some of the things you've done during this break to kind of process um, and kind of reset ahead of when we get back to competing? Has there been anything specific like, um, you know, fitness wise or shaper wise or just approach wise that you've kind of gone, I'm going to take this time and kind of figure this part out? Yeah, I, I feel like it took me a few months to sort of settle down, if you will. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I've been competing. This would have been my 10th season. So you sort of just get in this rhythm of, okay, this is the off season, but it's not that long. I take a month off. I'm going to start training. And then you're on tour again, and it's just event, 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 event. And so it tore to, it took me a minute to just turn off, even after they called off Snapper and kind of those first few events. And it was looking like, okay, this is probably going to be longer than what they're even saying. I still was in this zone of train, surf, get better. And then once... I finally had about three weeks. I was like, all right, you're going to burn out if you keep going at this rate. Um, so I feel like, yeah, I just sort of took a step back and um, thought, all right, what do I really need to improve on with next year's tour when we start competing again? And for me, that's tube riding. Um, my boards with Britt, it's been incredible to work with him the past few years, but continually like fine-tuning that equipment i think you can always learn more and grow and then variety in my surfing and so that's really down at bells what i've been working on a ton um there's a lot of really incredible waves on that coastline and uh, my husband tom is awesome because he likes to charge psycho waves so <laughs> um he sort of pushed me we definitely i i was trying to just make myself be in uncomfortable situations and, and work on the barrel riding especially backside um, you know, with GLAN and with Chopu now. So yeah, those, that was really my main focus the last few, few months down there. And then just a bit more variety in my, my surfing. I feel like my strength is well and truly a frontside carve and it's gotten me very far and I love that turn, but I think having, you know, like I see Krissa, she does layback a lot and it looks incredible and she kind of ties it in really well with stuff. And so I worked on that a lot and just sort of, yeah, I want my surfing to be more well-rounded. So surfing-wise, that that was my goal um, during this off time. And mentally just kind of getting back to enjoying surfing and, and having confidence in myself. And I felt pretty shattered after last season. So I think just reigniting why I surf and it's supposed to be fun. And, um, you know, I am still pretty good at it so you know keep moving forward i think just kind of re rethinking all of that and and realizing why i do it it's, it's a question i like to ask a lot of uh ct surfers that come through because i'm always curious because uh it, it, it falls into two camps where people are like 
you know, when I'm surfing or I'm preparing or even when I'm switching off, I'm riding my Ferrari thruster because yeah. I cannot afford to not stay sharp on that board. And then some people are like, I'll ride like an epoxy or a quad or a fish or something. Right. Which camp do you fall in? I'm in the thruster, always on one speed. <laughs> um, but it's funny you say that because that is one thing I, I actually went up to the Gold Coast before uh, the pandemic started and I worked with Mick for a few days and um, I talked to him about that because I was telling him, I feel like I struggle to turn off, you know, once you get going with events, you're just in event mode and I struggle to sort of have just live my life and have fun mode <laughs> on as well. And I feel like he does such a good job of that. And he was like, just jump on a fun board and ride a twin fin. And so anyways, I've been on the new neck beard, fish beard, sorry. That's the I makes, and I've been having a lot of fun on that. I'm like, gosh, I've been missing out. I should have had a twin fin so long ago. <laughs> That's good. But I would also say that I'm glad he's sharing that with you. And he he was very, very vulnerable just in general in terms of like being able to switch on and switch off and how important that is. But I would put him as a class one offender of never riding anything but a thruster <laughs> his entire career on the CT. I swear the first time I saw him ride anything but, and I might just not be like close enough to him, but was like a little like round tail quad thing that yeah. he rode after the shark attack. Right. And I was like, it's so good to see him surfing. I'm so happy he's surfing a different board. Yeah. This is so exciting. This is something <laughs> so new. I, I hope that's like, if that is accurate, I'm glad he's passing that on. Because yes. I do think it's cool to like try something different and kind of test different spots on the wave. Like I think that, I think a lot of people take that to their advantage and apply that to their high performance surfing on thrusters. I think for sure. Um just the speed and the exactly what you said, the different lines you can kind of draw on a, on a twin fin or whatever. And yeah, how you kind of want to paint the canvas is totally different than when I'm on a thruster. I'm just, you know, trying to do five to the beach every time. <laughs> so yeah, that has been uh, really, really fun. And I'm like, dang it, I wish I had more room in my board bag to bring one on tour, but I'm just packed i can't <laughs> it could be dangerous too i guess because like i i someone the other day was like oh what board are you writing i'm like i'm i've pretty much ridden my neck beard to all year i don't think i've ridden a different board yeah but i think if you're in southern california it's like you don't really need to ride like that's all you need yeah yeah i'm a fan i'm a fan of the fish beard that thing's so much fun that's awesome you also uh in this off season i think it is with my timing right um switched longtime sponsors i did yeah um it's weird because I feel like I switched sponsors and then I just didn't start the tour. So no one's <laughs> seen me and it's right. just sort of, um, yeah, it's just different, but I did. So I, I rode for Hurley for, I was with Nike before yeah. kind of the merge happened and then with Hurley for years, which was incredible. Honestly, um, they, they were awesome and had such an awesome team and group of people and the sport was amazing. Um, and then, yeah, I just had a really awesome opportunity with my now sponsor, Sister Revolution, which is pretty much, for those who don't know, it's the sister brand to Visla. So what Roxy is to Quicksilver, that's what it is to Visla. And yeah, they, they've been incredible. They're just so, what they want to do with women's surfing and where they see women's surfing going, um, I just really agree with. And they yeah they're just focused on the right things in my opinion and great people and I just felt like I needed something fresh and new and um yeah I just feel like they really believe in me 100 percent, and that's really important to me and um it's been awesome working with them so far but I, like I said I can't wait to sort of compete and 
feel like I'm, you know, getting their name out there more because they're they are still new and grassrootsy and um, growing. But yeah, they're awesome and their their women's line of clothing is really cute and wearable and um, so it's just it's just kind of fun. It's totally different. Yeah, the dynamic between like high high profile surfers like yourself and mainstream sponsors, I think, has changed so much in surfing and and there's some parallels i've seen in other sports too i mean there are some people who are just like tied at the hip for life like like an aki and billabong like right. it would be like hey who's gonna get aki like and and he'll get <laughs> another sponsor and people would be like he's still billabong kind yeah of yeah um but i've heard a lot like recently with kind of the 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 cba and the nba and how they work with their players where in the past it was if you were like a high profile nba player you were on that team like that that was kind of it now they're kind of more like mercenary in a way but in a good way where it's like yeah kevin durant may go to golden state for a little bit um and then he may be somewhere else our producer is a huge uh, oklahoma city thunder right now so he's like gonna (laughs) shut my mic off in a second but you know the other thing that i it kind of blew me away was there was that netflix series drive to survive about f1 and i've never watched like a race in my entire life and someone's like you go check this thing out and i watched it and i was like this is amazing. Yeah. I really enjoy the show. It's a really well-made show. But the thing that blew me away was just how free they swap drivers right. all the time. And I'm like, oh. how does this work? Yeah. Like, I'm so, I'm so blown away oh, by this. No. Like, it must be the most awkward thing ever. You just have ridden for every single person at some stage and bailed on them or whatever. But that but it, it, amazing. It, it works. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? And I think that kind of, it, it is really cool because as you said, like you were so, you basically built like women surfing at Nike you were one of their first riders and that transitioned into Hurley and for you to be able to to lend your your personal brand and your beliefs and your accomplishments to a new brand that you believe in it's just really cool it's something that I don't think we ever saw like you know a few years ago yeah and I sort of felt like for me it was uh now or never if I was going to change a sponsor not that I was necessarily looking to do that with Hurley like I said they were incredible um but I I feel like if I didn't do it now and take maybe just that that leap, then um, maybe I never would have. And I was just excited for this new opportunity and just the freshness. And um, yeah, so I'm excited. More to come with them for sure. Awesome. Well, on the topic of sponsors, we're going to take a quick ad break to hear from ours. And when we come back, it will be with the rear view. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, we're back. We're here for the rear view presented by BF Goodrich, which is interesting because this was exclusively a quarantine product and now we're here in the person. Um, We've got our popcorn, we've got our hydro flasks. This rear view is the quarterfinals, 2017 lowers, you versus Carissa. 
I have not rewatched this heat in a long time. This was a big turning point heat for me in my career, actually. This was, I feel like Chris always, I have my best heats against her. I think she just brings the best out in me because if you don't absolutely go off, you won't beat her. <laughs> so this was sort of one of those times and I, I kind of hadn't had the best year and I was just fired up. I was at lowers where I feel super comfortable. I obviously grew up, you know, surfing out here and and um, it's and, kind of my wave. And you have wave. a place down there now, right? And I have a place down there. I've had a place down there um, for a while. So I spend most time wow. at home all summers. I went, I was fired up. <laughs> yeah. And in, is that intentional when you surf against Carissa or anyone else? Or are you, I want to get the first wave. I want to set the pace. Um, If you ask Mike that, he would say, <laughs> ideally you set the pace, you get the first wave. I think with Carissa too, it's really important to sort of, get up in a grill a little bit. Not that I'm not really naturally that personality. I hate paddle battles and I hate fighting for position and stuff. Um, but I think with her, if you can get a jump on her, it's, it's generally a really good thing. So yeah, this wave worked out nicely for me. It gave me a lot of turns and it had a lot of down the line opportunity. I feel like at lowers sometimes too, you can get really fun medium sized ones that you often the sets are obviously always the priority in a heat, but a lot of times you can get ones, you know, about that size, but it gives you a lot of turn time down and, the way. And the coping is sometimes better, right? Because yeah. those sets sometimes go a little bit wide and it it's hard for you to, like, what you were doing there is really accenting your turns. What board were you riding in 2017? Which model? And and has your, oh my God, 937 nine, for the first wave? <laughs> Good start. The scoring panel's changed since then. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's great. But what model were you riding in 2017 and, and has it changed much between then and now? Um <laughs> I, I was riding the Rook 15 or the yeah, just the rookie at this time. Um, and I still ride rookies. So it hasn't really changed a whole lot. I might have been on an a, epoxy in this heat. Um, I gotta see another wave to to make sure, but I might have been on epoxy here. Um, can you tell just by how you're surfing or can you, are you looking at the board? No, I'm just looking at how I'm surfing. It looks pretty poppy and I don't know, maybe I'm a bit older now, so I just don't have the flair, but <laughs> here goes Carissa. Um, she obviously rides mayhem, so her boards, uh, would have been incredible for lowers. Obviously Matt being local lowers guy, uh, he like owns the lineup out there. It is funny how like board builders, they've gotten so much better, but for years are just so like kind of regionalized specialists. Like, I remember getting like some JSs on tour a few years ago that were like Parco boards and they were so concaved out. Like I took yeah. them home and I'm like, I don't think my board goes. Like I'm <laughs> I'm sure it's not the board's problem. Like I'm sure this is entirely user error, but like you just compare those to boards made in California just based on the waves and they're just totally different. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's, you know, it's like if you go to the Gold Coast, a DHD is probably going to work really well. If you go surfing con, you probably want Brit to shape every single one of your boards, you know? And so I think for sure, depending on where the shaper is from, it's going to go great in that area. It's the same thing you see with Tokoros in Hawaii. Right. Um, but yeah, for me, you know, I've been with Channel Islands forever since I was a little girl, just naturally being from Santa Barbara. And, um, so it's just been really cool to build that relationship with them. And now with Brit, um, it's been, it's been awesome. And I've been on rookies forever i love that model for the tour now we hear from some surfers that they they will have that exclusive relationship with the channel islands or with a mayhem or with a dh but 
they will venture out and try different shapers and different shapes to kind of see how those things feel and take them back to their own shapers. Have you ever done that or? Yeah, totally. I think, I think that's wise <laughs> to go and, and just see what you like and try stuff and sort of make sure you're on the best equipment for you. Personally, I honestly haven't much. I, I've sort of, especially since working with Brit the last three years, I've felt like my boards changed completely. Where before then, you know, I was riding channel ends and, and they were making me great boards, but I was a little more curious of maybe trying some other stuff or seeing what was out there. And then since working with Brit, I just felt like my consistency of my surfboards, the involvement I have in him building my boards, the understanding of it has just grown so much. And now I don't really second guess if I could be on better equipment. I feel totally confident, confident and comfortable in it, which is a great feeling. Um, that being said, though, I think it's always still just great to even jump on someone else's board and see how it goes and feels and, you know, surfboards a never ending journey of learning <laughs> what things can do and how it can change your surfing. So you do see often, especially at the elite level, like when a surfer can zero in with a one board builder or even a singular shaper, they, they just advance in leaps and bounds. And, and here you are up again on another, right? You want to walk us through the wave? Yeah, this looks like more of a set wave. I think this might be a really good exchange with me and her. Um, I remember after that turn, <laughs> a little no claim claim, <laughs> I got that wave and then I turn around and Carissa belts this last end turn right in front of me. And I was like, oh, dang, because I was feeling I was feeling pretty good about my wave. And then I was like, oh, don't forget what she can do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a nice exchange. It was nice to get kind of a set. Lowers often can get really lowly. I think anyone yep. who's ever watched that event um, knows or competed in it, the lulls can just sort of kill you out there. So this was a nice heat because we had plenty of opportunity. And yeah, I was feeling just really clicked in, clicked into my equipment, clicked into the wave. Even being able to finish, like it's interesting because like a, a couple of weeks ago that we we had the Stab Surf 100 and I was watching a Griffin and Kloha and Ian and, you know, it's a different scenario, but I was just noticing like they were like hammering the waves, but just struggling to finish. And I, I wasn't sure if it was just because it wasn't really a contest. It was a bit of a free surf, but Right there, like having the strength to finish that wave after you've made the money turn, like I didn't see any of that in the Surf 100. Do you feel like you <laughs> surf different between events and free surfs or do you always try to push no, it? No, I do. I, I think, you know, events, it's like every last little bit counts and you never know, I think just through my experience now, you also just never know how much you're going to win or lose by. So right. that's just critical. That last tiny little foam climb, you know, if that gives me point two more that might be the difference yeah um we're in free surfs you know i probably just would have done my end turn and straightened out and and been good with that but yeah i think when someone puts a jersey on or at least for me for sure i just click into a different gear so we're about a third of the way through the heat you've got a nine seven and an eight five looks like that nine seven was on your last exchange with carissa carissa put up a nine seven seven she's got a six three three so she needs a huge score to match her eight five there's plenty of time left. Like what's going through your brain at this point against a competitor, like and a surfer, <laughs> I guess, just like Carissa. Uh, it's Carissa. So she'll probably get the score she needs. And I need to better my 8.5. I think that's constantly across the board when I'm in a heat with her in any situation that, okay, you're surfing. Well, obviously at this point, you know, I'm, I'm doing great with my scores and I'm feeling good and I'm, I'm surfing well. I'm putting it together, but she also just dropped a 977. So um, 
with three turns. So I, I think I think I'm constantly just aware of her and what she's doing and and thinking that she's going to get the score. And is and is there a de- a defense offense approach for you in heats? I mean, at this point, I guess in particular, are you thinking like best defense is a good offense? I need to improve the eight five, or are you thinking like I need to prevent her from getting a wave that's going to get like an eight? Um. I think I'm more of the offensive thinking of just I'm going to better my 8-5. But that being said, you know, I can try and fake her into a wave, and I will yeah. for sure. Everyone's going to try and do that and make her look at something or make make her paddle for something. She's actually really good in, at doing that, you know, to me on the flip side. <laughs> um, but I think always constantly it's just all you can control is your surfing and what you're doing. So that's what I'm going to focus on is just bettering you know, and dropping an eight five, which is a, a tall order, but I think you just got to draw confidence from other things in the heat. Like I've got a nine seven, so that's out there for me to potentially maybe get again. Um, once so you yeah. once you have scores this high, are you looking left at all on a day like today at lowers? <laughs> I never look left. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think so. I think sometimes too, the judges just like to see some variety. Uh, you know, so I've gotten two really nice scores on a right. So if I get a left here i don't remember if i do or i don't but sometimes that's just good to switch it up if you belt a left they'll just think oh cool that was nice to see something different that's a bit more flary or, or whatever so i think it's good to to remember that you, you mentioned the size that lowers and something i always like to talk about because people love to bring up the the big big years you know the year luke egan one and this and that it's like yeah. you know once lowers kind of gets a few feet overhead it's kind of not the best event to watch like yeah. Three to five feet is kind of, in my opinion, the most rippable you'll see. Yeah. Because everyone feels free to push it and go as fast as they can. I totally agree. I think it's, you want it three to five foot range. Exactly. That's that's it. Maybe six foot and then you're you're done. Once it's really big, I've surfed it on Hurricane Marie, I want to say it was quite a few years ago. Mike and I went and surfed it. And there was so many wash throughs, the occasional really good one, but even the, the best ones were sort of those mid-sized ones. So on a day like today, this is sort of perfect size out there. You can add a few more feet for sure, um, but this is really playful, fun, kind of classic lowers day. Going to give you a lot of opportunity. It has that nice little crumble on the lip, uh, which makes it really fun, actually. Really good for airs and um, the left, it's still not too crazy on the left, so... These types of days are, this is just typical lower trestles in the middle of the summer right here. I remember this wave, I felt like, gosh, I I knew that the second wave she was going to go on because you could see the set coming. And I I feel like I remember taking off and thinking, oh, no, it's sort of stretching out on me. I have to make it to that end section. But if I just do a floater, that's not really going to get much of a score. So I remember being really pumped that I got those two sort of turns in before that final one because... I, I stood up and I was like, shoot, I should have waited, but it ended up working out. Well, I mean, especially if you, you know, had only done this turn and it comes in at like a six or a seven and you know that and you turn around and you paddle and you watch her kind of drop that hammer on the nine, seven, seven, you're like, oh crap, I really needed to do a few more things there to, to take advantage. Totally. It's a huge confidence thing. I, I couldn't agree more. It's sometimes watching your competitor like i'm constantly obviously aware of what my competitor has for scores and what they're doing in heat but oftentimes too or i've just learned more over the years for my own self is just trying to almost tune that out a bit or just not taking negative if they get a nine it's so easy to be like dang it i'm on the back foot now or even if you have another nine it's like shoot they've just closed the gap entirely where i feel like 
the way I'm trying to start to look at it is if my competitor gets a really good wave, it's like, okay, sick. There's really good waves out here. I know if I get that wave, I can get a really nice score and that's out here. So that's a positive. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to kind of change that mindset, but it's never good to see Chris a hammer a wave in front of you. <laughs> well, so that, that's such, such a good point. Like, and I think it relates to a lot of people free surfing too, because I'm, I'm like the worst like prairie dogger in the lineup. As soon as anyone goes, I'm watching the whole wave, yeah. but I, and then I'll watch like a lot of like CTs heats obviously. And I noticed that most of you just won't even pay attention. You're like, I don't want to see that person blowing the fins out the back. I'm focused on my own deal. Like, yeah, I stopped paying attention a long time ago. I'll pay attention to the score. And if I'm paddling out and see it, then I'll pay attention. But I rarely turn around and watch them surf because if they catch the first wave, it's probably a set and there's a wave behind it for you to focus on and be in position for. And if you're turned around looking at them sidetracked, it just, you got to focus on yourself. It's also better for like photos and videos because for sure I would be the asshole in the back with like a weird look on my face while <laughs> yeah. someone was like blasting the tail on the way. Just so me just going, oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think if if it's like a buzzer beater and they take off and need a score, I can't not watch that. <laughs> oh, right. shoot. I got to see what they're doing. But um, yeah. When you're down in San Clemente, are you part of the electric bike posse? I am. I'm part of the Murph bike posse when I'm down there. Um, the Murph guy, the Murph bike guys are super awesome. They um, they've kind of hooked a lot of the surfers up with electric bikes, and it's pretty fun because my little condo, I I have a condo down by the pier, and I don't even have to get in my car to drive to the parking lot. I can just go from my condo directly to Lowers and back off one charge easily. I could probably do it twice off of one charge, and so it's pretty fun. You get a little warm up make sure to wear your helmet those things are dangerous they fly i i i use you know one of those things where it's like the older you get you get very firm reminders of it and i grew up down there and we'd always just walk the trail and it's like it's a nice walk and it's like 20 minutes and it's like yeah no problem and um i was going down to visit my parents a lot last year and i would be like okay well i'm gonna like take the morning and go surf lowers because i'm down here and like i remember the first few times just getting like everyone just blowing past me and i'm like (laughs) And the first few, I'm like, that's okay. Like, they're fortunate. That's fine. Like, <laughs> I'm walking. It's okay. And then after a while, I'm like, I'm definitely a dinosaur. Like, I <laughs> did not with the program. Nobody at all walks, down here. Dave. Nobody walks. I know. It's crazy. It, it is. There's, I think on crowded days now, I saw a photo recently. There's like 150 bikes just lined up down there. So, yeah, it's a thing for sure. <laughs> I'd give him a plug on the podcast to be like to try to get one, but I mean, we just podcast, we just write it back and forth to the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The um, how many boards do you bring to an event like lowers, like in your quiver, in terms of like, okay, I'm coming down from Santa Barbara, I've got five boards in play, fifteen boards in play that I might use throughout the event. Yeah, I, I mean, lowers is kind of a different event than what I would probably generally bring, say, when we're going to Australia and we have three totally different waves will be surfing in over there. So um, lowers where I'm in California, I know I can get a new board if I need it or if something breaks really easily. Uh, I still probably though have eight to 10 boards, all pretty similar. I mean, lowers, you're probably not really going to ride anything over a one inch step up ever, unless it's the biggest swell of all time. Um, So everything's generally, I've just got a ton of my, I ride a five, eight, as my normal shortboard. So generally just probably about four, five, eight squash tails. 
and then four five eight pintails and maybe a five nine in there if it gets solid how many do you leave in your locker room since we're looking at the women's locker room? <laughs> i never leave them overnight a lot of people leave their boards overnight but i just i always take mine i generally probably have four boards in my locker room now of those nine do you have your one every time you're like it's my favorite board yes Absolutely. I feel like every surfer does. Though. I think so, too. But I want to know, like, why you think that, like, why do you think that one stands out for you? Oh, uh, I think it's just personal preference. You know, when you get on a surfboard and you know it's the one, it's the magic board. I think anyone who surfs has experienced that where they get their favorite board and they're like, oh, this is this is the one. And so I feel like, too, especially being on tour, when you find or if you get the one <laughs> in that quiver, um, a lot of times I won't ride them in my free surfs. I'll just kind of save them for events because you want them to stay fresh. And if you ride them in free surfs and events, they're going to be thrashed pretty quickly. So generally, um, if I find a really good one, I'll just keep it on ice and kind of ride it in my warm up and then, and then in the heat, you know. I would be terrible at that. I would be like, anytime I felt bad in the water, I'd be like, it's because I didn't have the good board. Yeah. Like, it's a nightmare. Except for this year, I've been riding all my good boards every day. I'm like, go. I don't have an event. This is great. That's perfect. <laughs> well, it's funny too. Like, I can't wait to get um, just on the quantity question too, like Jordy Smith on the podcast. Because I remember his first event at Snapper Rocks. And this was, I was going to bring this up before because he hadn't landed on a single, singular shaper when he was a rookie. Mm. And I remember visiting him like before the event started at the Rainbow Bay Apartments. I don't know how many boards he had, but it so was reported many. 110. And I believe it because it was wow. just like 12 board quivers from like 10 different shapers because yeah. he was like the <laughs> it guy. He still is the it guy, let's face it. But like he was like the it guy and everyone wanted to work with him. And I was like, how how would you decide what board you're going to ride? Like, that's bananas. Yeah. Sometimes I think that's valid when guys get too many boards. It's like, okay, you need a lot of boards and you need to get through boards and, and try stuff and you need backups of the good ones and this and that. I get it. But sometimes, like, sorry, Jordy, you don't need 110 boards. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, ever. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's maybe a lot of superstitions. Like, I never, it's my biggest fear to get to an event and be missing a board or like going to West Oz is the hardest because you need everything from right. your five eights to, to six eights. I've ridden a six eight and he had snap or at uh, Mark's <laughs> not a snapper. Now you mentioned that um, this was a really important kind of turning moment for you um, just performing like this and surfing against Carissa this way. And you'd had, uh, I think you finished 16th the year before 2016 yeah, um, and then injury, and then you said you started slower this year, um, but this you could really kind of pinpoint and say this probably set you on your title contention trajectory for the next until I mean, until the present, basically, yeah. right? Yeah, it did. I think my injury in 2016 was pretty. You know, injuries always kind of make you grow, especially as an athlete, and just having time off. And then 2017 was just sort of weird. I had a weird start and. I started working with a sports psychologist not too long before this event. And I remember I sort of started implementing everything I'd worked on with him at this event and it really started to click and it just gave me so much confidence. I think from here I went to Europe and I, I don't know who I had in the final, but I made the final in France. And yeah, I just, it's crazy how one event can give you so much confidence and you can just ride off of that as a surfer. It's the same thing as if you kind of get in a rut and it's really hard to get out of it. Mm. 
same exact thing is if you just have some some small things click for me personally and in, in my experience I can only speak from but it really just gives me something to to ride on and, and go with and um so yeah this year was just a huge learning curve of how I want to compete how I want to carry myself um you know and just having fun and enjoying it but also being super tenacious and focused and and figuring all that out and I felt like this event was the first time I really tapped into that perfect balance of everything and yeah just sort of from there I've just been learning and growing and trying to improve and I've been super happy with just the consistency I think I'm really proud of since this year because before this 2017 um sorry the year the heat that we're watching now I felt like I finished in seventh so many times or six one one once or twice as well and mm-hmm. I was just stuck there and couldn't get consistent results. You know, I'd have the odd final or third or whatever. And I felt like this event, I just clicked into something and kept going. I think like surfing's really like that. And like a lot of people can relate to just things being unlocked, you know, because it's like your experience as a circle, as a surfer, like the aperture just gets expanded so much sometimes where you're like, now I can go down the line, you know, like, and your whole world changes, you know, and you're like, now I can do a cutback or like, and you're like, and there's almost no going back in a lot of ways. So like, it seems like it's similar to that. And like, you put a performance in like this in such an important heat against such a high quality surfer. And, and it's like, well, I don't go backwards from here. You might still get into ruts, as you said, but like your body and your mind knows like, no, 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 I'm here now, you know, and I, I can establish myself. You just understand what you're capable of. Mm. If you beat Carissa, who's, you know, incredible surfer, the best in the world, then you know on your day that you can, you know, beat her. And I think that confidence is huge. And it's same with winning my first event. I mean, I won an event as a rookie, but then I didn't win for like (laughs) six years or something. And so like having a breakthrough event at Snapper, it's like, you just realize you can do it all, all of a sudden. And sometimes that's all it takes. And it's a shame that it takes having to actually do it to realize you can do it. Because if I had the mindset before then and realized you can win at any time, anywhere, doesn't matter the conditions, it's surfing, um, then I probably would have maybe won an event sooner. But it is wild how just one event win or one event heat can put you on such a great trajectory. Totally. And I mean, as someone who, I mean, compared to a lot of the other surfers started arguably later, you know, than a lot of other surfers, I think it it must be one of those things where it's like, no, I can do this now. And people didn't think I can do it or I didn't think I could do it. And maybe you did. And now I can do this and now I can do that. And it's it's sort of just this leveling up for you that's never gone the other way. (laughs) Hopefully it doesn't go the other way. Now you're on the lineup. I mean, it's (laughs) like. (laughs) I've made a team. I mean, who cares about a world title or the Olympics? (laughs) Like, here. I know. Yeah. It's it's hard, too, because the, I don't want to say the better you get, but the closer you get for me to a world title, like my, my last two years finishing second, then finishing third, it's like you're getting so close that there's that one last spot to gain, which is so much to gain of winning world title. Mm. But then if you don't finish second, you just, you have also just so much to lose and so much room to go down. If I go back to a seventh in the world year, that's still incredible, obviously for, you know, anyone that's on tour, it's amazing. Um, But it's, it's, I think you have to adjust your, your mindset 
of just, you know, it's the smallest margins between first, second, third. Well, I was going to say this, the smallest margins too, especially on the women's tour, because the talent just across the field is so high and there's just not many stops spots, you know, like, so it's being in the top three is something being at six or seventh, as you said, there's not a lot of daylight like in the rankings, but it's just an entire other space almost, you know, and it's such a weird, such a weird one. Yeah, it is. It's, I don't know. I'm just learning to focus a task at hand. And as long as I do my best, then that's, that's all I care about. Before we get to the next part of the conversation, we're going to take one more quick break uh, to get a word in from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So it's still 2020, I think. Um, it's been like the weirdest, this is the weirdest timeline, right? Um, you've had a lot of time to process 2019. You spent a great amount of time in Australia. You have a new sponsor. What are the next weeks, months? Let's hope it's not more than months ahead of when the CT starts again look like for you? What, what are you doing on a week to week basis? Um, professionally personally how are you how are you using this time yeah i i think you know just just got home from being away for seven months so i'm <laughs> gonna enjoy enjoy the year off still and just having time with my family and friends and i was actually speaking to my husband today and you know maybe road trip a little bit and just do things that we don't normally get to do that being said i'm actually after this event gonna go down to lowers and work with Mike for the first time since Honolulu. So I'm really excited about that. I've got a bunch of new boards I'll be working through that Britt just made me. And just to kind of get back into things with him and have some goals and watch footage and step back into that, I sort of stepped away from any coaching for a little while. You didn't check in with him at all? or I did. I did a little bit. I sent him some footage from Australia. Mm. And we were on the phone a fair amount, but not – not really on the coaching side. I just sort of took a breather. I worked with Mick a bit and was talking to him a lot, which was incredible. Um, and Mike was sort of clued into all that as well. But I'm definitely haven't worked with him on the level as I used to the, the last few years um, until now. So I'm excited to dive back into that from a surfing standpoint um, and really, you know, have summertime down at Lowers and. I feel like it's such a great place to go and improve and uh, just have consistently good surf to work on myself. So I'm stoked too. I'm not burnt out on it yet. I feel like it's August and everyone's 
over it, but <laughs> I haven't surfed it once yet. So it's kind of a good scenario for me. That's good. It's like, a, it's exactly the same thing as like turning up when there's been like five weeks of swell somewhere and yeah. everyone's like, yeah, you go. And you're like, oh, it's great. I haven't great. surfed in a long time. <laughs> yeah. how, how do, how do, uh, what are the key differences between kind of mix and Mike's approach to when you're working with them? Are there, are there big ones? Or are they, are they very similar? Um, I think really similar with Mick. I just always, you know, he's such a, or was such an incredible competitor. Mm. And as I talked about earlier, just had such a great mindset. And I always really admired that. And I think anyone who knows Mick or even just a fan of him really sees how good of a human being he is. But then he has such a tenacious, intense competitor side. And um, so I really just wanted to talk to him about that. And also just his surfing's amazing. And I think there's, you know, a lot of maneuvers. He sort of created and tweaked and made his own that gave him a lot of variety in his surfing. That's one thing that I'm really working on. And so I picked his brain a lot about that. So with him, it was more, I had really specific things I wanted to ask him and work on with him or I'll still, I'll still like email him and ask him what I'm doing wrong or, or how to improve. And with Mike, it's, I've worked with him for so long that it's more boards and he has pointers for me of, you know, move my foot here or there or whatever as a coach. Um, but I think it's less maybe specific with Mike. That's the word I'm, I'm looking for. It's more broad spectrum overall, everything competing life boards, all of it. Where with Mick, I I really want to get specific keys from him. It seems like, like the way you broke that down, it seems like you and Mick would gel on that, the specificity part of it, because even like watching his career and then speaking to him about it, like he is one of those guys that he got to the tour and fully acknowledges like I wasn't fully formed as a surfer or a competitor, which isn't that common or hasn't been that common over the last couple of decades, right? Because a lot of people, they get hyped up when you know they're on the QS or before the QS, they blitz the QS, they get to the CT and you know some of them are like, I'm here to win a world title, you right. know? And you know, you see other guys and girls, and I think the industry and the media kind of play a role in this too, where they're like, yeah, yeah, this is our new kind of golden child. They're going to win everything. Yeah. And some people buy into that. And then some people like make are like, no, no, no. Like I have to work on like these parts of my game. Like right. I'm not at a world title level like that. And I think kind of the way that you were describing, like intentionally seeking out sort of bigger waves, heavier water, you know, slabs, barrels, lefts, even in your time in Australia, that sort of specific approach seems like you guys would gel a lot totally yeah i mean he's just obviously through his experience such an incredible amount of information and so kind of him to help me out he does i know help a lot of people he's such a giving person so i just felt honored that he would give me a few pointers and so i was stoked to just get that information and really try and apply it over the past few months and now even this weekend trying to apply it you know, this is more of a, a fun event, this team's event, but I'm really trying to go at it as if it's, a f you know, the freshwater pro and yeah. happening and, and apply things that he kind of taught me and tricks and stuff while I'm competing. So I'm excited to see how it goes, you know, actually in a jersey now with what I've learned and yeah, just some, some key pointers and having Mike, Mike's here now too. So it'll be awesome to just work with him again and um, have that comfortability for me. Yeah, I think that that level of, I mean, it really is like a level of humility to acknowledge like I am competing for a world title, but I have things I have to work on. And it's like, 
in surfing, I think almost more than anything, you are completely a product of your environment in the sense of how you develop. And you, if you recognize you're like, well, I need to expand my environment and get better in these different spaces. Like I've told this story before, but it's like, it's so sad. So I'll tell it again, but it's like, you know, I, I like competed in like NSSA contests in college and stuff and was like, yeah, I'll just, you know, Andy and Mick and Kelly and like me, this is how this will be I'm the on. next several years. And uh, that didn't pan out, but, it, but it was fine. And, and then, but I remember like traveling on tour the first year back in like 05, 06 and thinking to myself, like, I don't do the same thing they do at all. Yeah. Like this is a totally different sport. Like <laughs> right. it's, it's just nothing to what it is. And I think of kids that grow up in like West Oz or like surfing the box at age 12. And I'm like, I would, I wouldn't go, I'm 37. I wouldn't go out there. Yeah. Like, and I think it's one of those things that like, as you pointed out, like growing up in Santa Barbara, you have a range of waves yeah. and then going on to the world tour. It's just a bigger world. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And I didn't, I didn't grow up with parents who, were surfers either and knew mm. to say, Hey, look, we're going to Y for the winter. Right. And we're going to get you comfortable in big, hollow, windy, wild waves. It was just, you know, which isn't their fault at all, but I didn't come from any form of surfing background. And so all I knew until I really got on tour was QS waves and Rincon Point and lowers. And so I think maybe that's why it took me a while to, to figure out how to win and win consistently. And really put it together i just felt like i had so much to learn and still of course do but a, that was just a huge missing chink in my armor and and it's been really fun to sort of fill that chink in and you know like winning margaret river last year was huge for me and and a lot of reasons because it's a big wild windy wave and yep. um so yeah i think it's taken me some time but I'm chipping away at it. <laughs> I, I wonder though, like, you know, we obviously have relationships with a lot of kids that are coming up and like, you see it more often than not. Like, okay, the kids were pulling him out of school. He's going to Indo for three months and yeah. I'm going to like nudge him out at pipeline at age eight. Like, <laughs> right. I don't know if that's the right approach either. And I think, I don't know, I'd be interested to get your opinion on it. Like if you could go back, would you be like, yeah, no, I wish I'd done that earlier on because you've still achieved so much already in your young career. Yeah, I think... I think I should have had maybe a little bit more of that earlier on. I feel like I was on tour and so just not not equipped mm. for for the tour at least. And also too, I guess the tour though has evolved a lot since you know I first was on it. Right. Since then, we've had waves like Fiji in the past. You know, now Chopu will be on and Jilin, and um, so it has evolved into bigger, hollower waves as you know I've grown. It wasn't like that from the get-go right but yeah i think any young surfer who potentially is going to go onto the world tour one day or go for a world title one day you have to be well-rounded and you have to know how to surf in the wind and in power and in not power and every rights left i mean that's what creates a world champion that's why they are a world champion and so i do think when i was younger that would have been nice to have just a bit more of that experience in my back pocket. I felt like I wouldn't have had so much to catch up on, but at the same time, um, it's been a really fun journey to figure that out. You know, I wonder too, cause this has come up with like the pro junior age, like going from 20 to 18, which I wasn't a fan of. Um, because I also think it kind of just lowers the scale in terms of when people are expected to be on the CT. Right. You know, how old were you when you qualified? I was 16. 
yeah, 16 years old. Yeah. And on, it, on both sides, like men's and women's, there's like very, very young people that are expected to be, okay, you're on tour, you're competing against like battle-hardened world champions around the world. And it's one of those things where I think if if the entire surfing world, WSL included, gave everyone a little more space to mature physically, to get more experience under their belt, you're going to have kind of longer standing superstars that make it, you know, because yeah. probably for every Lakey Peterson, there's another hundred surfers who got pushed too fast too soon and, right. and didn't survive, you know? Yeah. I think it's fine line of getting pushed too far too soon and, and not being exposed to enough. Mm. And you got to kind of, figure that out. I, I was really fortunate too to work with Mike once I got on tour right. and have him in my corner, you know, from a pretty darn young age. I think without his guidance and kind of pushing me in that area, I would not be where I am today at all. So I, I felt like once I my parents kind of implemented someone who knew what they were doing <laughs> in that regard for me was was huge. But you have to have the right person, you know, telling you what to do and how to do it. I think that's hugely important. You mentioned, you know, without this year being a, a gap year in a lot of ways for people, it's just so intense because you're just 12 months of the year. You know, you're you're coming out of Maui, you know, in early December, you go straight into the holidays, you're back to training in January and the tour is basically back on warm-up QSs before the CT in February. Yeah. Um, at the end of last year, uh, Carissa, someone who you've competed against a lot, you compete against and, uh, successfully against her in uh, our rear view this episode um, announced at the end of last year that she was taking the year off. Yeah. Um, and now everyone's taking the year off. How important do you think that is for, for obviously speaking for yourself, but just athletes at such a high level to have space to, to recharge? Hugely important. I never really thought that until Carissa said I'm taking the year off last year. And I remember thinking, that sounds so nice. <laughs> I should have uh, done that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's just a point in someone's career when, you know, she's been in the world title race forever. She's always been in that hunt and in that zone. You know, I've only been in it for a couple of years and I'm like, wow, a break would be nice. And so I think for any athlete, we work so hard all year round and we get our month off in December, which is awesome. And it's not like our life is that hard. We're professional surfers and it's incredible, but it is, it's, it's taxing and it's tiring and you're away from your family and you're away from, you know, your husband and it, it takes its toll. So I think it's just important to, yeah, I really respected Carissa for making that decision. Um, you know, because it is a bold thing to do, especially she's in the peak form of your, her career. And that's a big move. But if she felt she needed it, I really respect that. And it's not like she hasn't given enough to the sport or hasn't, you know, stamped her authority on it. And I feel like timing with that is, is crucial. Um, it's not like everyone can just say, oh, I'm having a gap year. I think you do have to sort of earn that in a sense. And outside of being able to take a gap year, I think that's a lot of just competing and knowing how to turn on and turn off. Like we've talked about a ton, just knowing when, when we are competing, you know, we're on focused and that's that. But then when you're not, then you can have a life and switch off and, and relax. And I think a lot of um, just sporting stars struggle with that, myself included, and just learning how to have that balance is is key. 
Yeah. I mean, that's come up a bunch on this podcast too, because it is so fun that people are like, it's impossible to say no to stuff in surfing because you're just, everything's fun. And I think, I mean, you know, tying that into the announcements that the WSLs made moving forward on the CT, the concentrated calendarization of the CT could, it could potentially provide people with longer off seasons, right? If you're starting in end of January, February, and you're ending in uh, you know, August, September, or operate August, September, then you're you're increasing that if you're competing for world titles to a few months. Yeah, which is awesome. I think increase off season also just allows people to get better at surfing. Right. You know, like this year for me has been amazing for just progressing and focusing on things. So I I feel as though how it was in the past, you sort of had the month off and you had to take the month off that you had. And then it's just straight back to training and sort of no time to experiment it felt like for me personally and so i think having a bit more of that buffer will be super nice just to you can go on a trip you can try some new boards you can really just yeah have that little extra time to dial it in which overall is just going to improve surfing the other big change we announced is obviously really to me the most fundamental change that we announced around the wsl finals and the new determination of the world champion being uh, a season-long ranking to qualifying the top five for a one-day event as opposed to a season-long sort of aggregate ranking. Yeah. What are your uh, unvarnished thoughts on that? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think there's just pros and cons to it, to be totally honest. I do – I like the idea of winning a world title in the water. As a fan of the sport and as a sports person of the sport, I think that that's really cool. And – and I personally, if I ever won a world title one day, I think that'd be the m- most epic way to do it. Um, and I think that they've come up with a great way of the seating. That was probably my biggest concern was, you know, if someone crushes the entire season and wins it by like 20,000 points, you have to have, like, they have to have some sort of bonus for that. It's a little scary to think, oh, the person in fifth could still potentially beat them. So that's my the one hesitation, but I do like how they incorporated the seating, like I said, and the surf, once it gets down to the final final, you know, you got to surf three times. So I think all those things are uh, helping with that, and I think it'll be fun to compete in. I, I don't know. I just don't know how it's going to go. It's sort of, it's yeah, we'll see. <laughs> But Pat, Pat and I have been playing our time machine game on our monthly podcast, and we're really excited to do it because we, we just geek out on like, well, I think this guy would have beat that guy, and she would have beat her, and da da da. Yeah. So, but I think you're totally right. It's like we're not going to know what it looks like until it happens. But yeah. based on your trajectory, I look forward to seeing you on that day for years and years to come. Thank you. I I hope so. I think it definitely brings out the people who do well under pressure, and so that'll be interesting too, which I tend to like. I think I like pressure, so hopefully. I might eat my words one day. We'll see. <laughs> I like it. And they're recorded on the podcast. Yeah. Before you go, we put out, um, and you did too, uh, questions to our Instagram followers. And I spent pretty much my entire quarantine at the Best Western weeding through them because we had <laughs> so many responses. So we got three questions from our Instagram followers. The first one is from Surfing for Change, who asks, how do you calm yourself before a heat? Oh, very good question. Surfing for change. I have found um, great success in doing just sort of some meditative work before a heat. So I'll do a run through of my first wave and how I want to surf it. I'll kind of lay down and shut my eyes. 
run through my first wave and then I'll breathe and focus on just my breath for like five minutes. And I've found that to be the most successful way to kind of just calm myself down and get to the state I want to be in before I paddle out. How long does that take you? That takes me five minutes. Okay. Yeah. Outside of competition or before heat, they'll all do meditation. Like I meditate every day for like 20 minutes. It's good to know. So if I see you before a final laying down, I'm not going to no. check out this TikTok video. <laughs> Leave me be. Free Spirit Christy asks, what's the hardest wave you've ever surfed? <laughs> Margaret River. <laughs> and- uh, Margaret River is such a hard wave. Uh, Sakurama is quite difficult at times as well, I would say, when you're up in that corner. Not not off the jetty wave, the the main contest the, the side. The left, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a left and right. It's yeah, a left, yeah. but then can turn to a right. Bat wave's pretty darn hard to surf. They're pretty similar in a way. I mean, I know one's kind of a beach break, one's a reef break, but yeah. it's like there's just a lot of water moving and there's kind of an ill-defined face on yes. either side, right? Exactly. There's like, oh, Marcus doesn't have this, but Sakurama's got this weird warble in the wave and often there's a lot of backwash. Like it's, yeah, it's very unpredictable, I would say. All right. And Valley Girl 24 asks, why don't you rep Mickey D's anymore? <laughs> I don't not rep Mickey D's. <laughs> <laughs> I just, they, it's not like they sponsor me, but yeah, my grandpa invented the Egg McMuffin. So, you know, I'll stamp my authority on that for life. <laughs> so that's what they call burying the lead if we're not talking about grandpa inventing the Egg McMuffin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm not, it's not really, yeah, I guess. It's not really in my side of the family business much anymore. But, yeah, <laughs> it's more in my side of the family yeah. business these days. I'm, I can't I'm, ra- you, I'm repping Mickey D's. I can get you some egg McMuffins if you need them. That's, Let me know. It's okay. It's, it's, the, it's the Jekyll and Hyde of me. I enjoy <laughs> it. All right. So for our final segment, we now have the lightning round presented by Electric Sunglasses. And since you're an ad, um, avid uh, lineup listener, you said you've done your homework on this. So 10 questions, answer as fast as you can. One board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad, bonzer, or finless? Thruster. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Pizza. Last book you read? Oh, uh, <laughs> I listen to books on tape more. Uh, I'm the way of the champion. Read or listened on tape? No, I read that. Do you think it counts if you listen on tape? Yeah, you're still getting the same information. It's like, this is like sort of the question of our times. I, I, I like it. I'm listening to one on tape too. It's great. It's, it's way easier <laughs> than reading. Best surf film ever? Oh, I would say View from a Blue, Blue Moon. Mm. One wave you never have to go back to? Um, <laughs> hang on. Sorry. One wave I never have to go back to would probably be Bara de Suzuka. <laughs> I'm saying that right. I really apologize if I'm not saying that right. Brazil. I love Brazil, but I don't think I need to surf that wave again. Only get to surf one wave the rest of your life. J-Bay, I think. Best person to share the lineup with? My husband. Worst person to share the lineup with? <laughs> no, not answering. <laughs> <laughs> but you have someone. I definitely have someone. All right, all right. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by surfing a wave at the wave pool. I love it. Lakey Peterson, thank you so much for resurrecting the lineup from low tide. 
first episode in a long time. This was great. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. It was awesome to be on. Thanks for having me. So that's it. That's the lineup presented by Michelob Ultra Pure Gold's conversation with Lakey Peterson. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Lakey for her time and her candor. If her form in and around Rumble at the Ranch is anything to go off of, uh, team result notwithstanding, it's going to be special to witness her in action when the championship tour resumes. This episode is produced by Ryan Fawcett with art direction by Jason Penning. Thanks to both of them and thanks to our sponsors for supporting these conversations. The lineup acknowledges that it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Tachiyokuts, the Chumash, and the Kichtubagnar people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.